This is Ed Cashmark, the Everyday Economist, keeping my eye on the economy every day for you with no bluster, no bias, and no bull. May 7, 2020. A few economic releases today. The first one, the major one, was initial jobless claims. The prior week was 3.846 million. Forecast was for 3.041 million, and the actual was 3.169 million. So much less than the prior week, which is good news, but a little bit more than what was forecast. I will have more on initial claims in just a second. Non-farm productivity, which is a measure of productivity uh, for businesses not including farms. The prior measure was 1.2% on a quarter-over-quarter basis, seasonally adjusted annualized rate. The forecast was for minus 5.5%. The actual was minus 2.5%. So this only makes sense because the economy contracted very sharply in the first quarter, so you're obviously going to have a contraction in productivity as well. Because you had a contraction in productivity and output uh, before we had job losses, unit labor costs soared quarter over quarter. The prior reading was 0.9%, the forecast was 5%, and the actual was 4.8%. So a big increase in unit labor costs because while uh, while the units basically produced fell dramatically, the cost to produce those units did not fall nearly as much, at least at first, because those employees were still employed. But they're obviously being uh, have been laid off uh, in very huge amounts recently. And we had a late reading today. Consumer credit was basically how much debt that consumers are using to purchase things, how much is on their balance sheets. Uh, the prior reading was an increase month over month of $20 billion. The forecast was for an increase of $15 billion. Actual was minus $12.1 billion, so a massive decline in how much debt is on the balance sheets of consumers right now. Uh, so thinking that possibly you know, obviously uh, people aren't borrowing as much, but also might be using s some money uh, to pay off debt in the middle of a crisis because that's what people t sometimes tend to do. If you're not going to spend the money on other things, just use it to pay down your debt. All right. Next up, a little bit more uh, insights on jobless claims for Minnesota. For the week of March 18th, the peak was 32,000 initial claims. Not not the week of March not not the week of March 18th. The day of March 18th was 32,000 initial jobless claims for Minnesota. Yesterday, May 6th, only about 8,000. So a very big decline in the number of jobless claims. That's really really good news. And uh, more. Insights on jobless claims, we have, let's see here, okay, so a lot of data here uh, for today. So the hardest hit states uh, in terms of jobless claims were California, 318,000, Texas, 247,000, New York, 195,000, Florida, 173,000. 
The most growth in jobless claims in the last six weeks, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Michigan, and Kentucky. Uh, interesting, because three of those are in the south, and one of them is close to the south, yet most of the fatalities have been in the northeast. So that's kind of interesting. 44 states saw a decline in claims this past week, while six states saw an increase. Those six states were Connecticut, Maine, Maryland, New Jersey, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. So four of those are in the Northeast. And uh, so so those are the ones that saw the increase. But the ones that saw the most increase in the last six weeks, three of them were in the Southeast. So kind of interesting uh, dichotomy there. All right, uh, listed a little mention on oil here. Uh, it was very volatile today. Prices were up on news of rising exports from China, not chi not uh, oil exports, but just overall exports, suggesting that the economy is starting to rebound. Uh, but then uh, later later in the day, the price fell back down quite a bit on continued supply concerns. I'll have more on oil a little bit later. And the market was up today on more hopes of reopening. Um, and another thing was the FDA cleared Moderna's Phase two vaccine study to proceed. So obviously the market is digesting an incredible amount of data right now. So vol volatility is going to remain with us quite a bit. But today was uh, not super volatile. But... Uh, just like the market today was digesting a lot of data, so was I. That's why this podcast is out pretty late today. Just a tremendous amount of data to sift through today, but I tried to whittle it down as much as I could. to The points that I thought were uh, most important for you to know, and but I am also have a lot that I'm not going to share with you because it's just it gets to be too much. All right, so some information today uh, around the economy. Uh, start out with uh, airlines here. Uh, well, this is an area, this is aviation industry. GE cut 10,000 aerospace jobs, and uh, the world, worldwide economic shutdown has been devastating for the aviation industry. With carriers warning it could take years for the sector to recover, and aircraft and engine manufacturers scrambling to slash capacity. Airbus and Boeing have cut production by 35% and 50% respectively. Next up is uh, just a little tidbit on Russia here. Uh, the virus has killed more, or the virus has infected more than 145,000 Russians and killed about 1,350. It also sparked a two-pronged economic shock that is expected to shrink Russia's GDP by 6% this year. Profits from oil and gas sales provide around 50% of Russia's consolidated budget revenue. So this huge decline in oil prices is a massive hit for Russia. And let's see, what else are they saying here? Oh, incomes are already 7.5% lower than in 2014 before Russia's invasion of Crimea prompted Western sanctions against Moscow. That's kind of interesting. All right, so next up is uh, news from yesterday that I didn't get a chance to share. Well, this is interesting. <clears throat> With all the 
growth problems in Europe right now. Well, everywhere really, but Europe is, you know, the, the European Central Bank has been doing what the Fed has been doing, which has been buying up bonds to uh, to help to support the economy. But now Germany is kind of uh, trying to thwart the ECB in doing that. It says uh, it could potentially weaken the bloc's ability to use monetary policy in response to the coronavirus crisis. Well, that's certainly not good news. We already have a terrible economy right now, and Germany is saying, no, don't do that to support it. Well, <laughs> we're in a crisis here. Something has to happen. The central bank has bought more than 2.2 trillion euros of public sector debt since launching quantitative easing in 2014, so it's been a long time, but in recent weeks has vastly expanded its bond buying to mitigate the economic consequences of the virus. The program has long been controversial in Germany, where critics argue the ECB has extended its mandate by illegally financing governments and exposing taxpayers to potential losses. Says the German court yesterday ordered the German the, the government to ensure the ECB carried out a proportionality assessment of its government debt purchases to ensure the economic and fiscal policy effects did not outweigh other policy objectives. Okay. Next up, corporate guidance. This is interesting here. It says Wall Street is flying blind as blue chips drop guidance. Number of U.S. blue chips offering full-year earnings guidance has declined by a half, leaving Wall Street analysts struggling to assess the full impact of measures to contain the virus. That's incredible. It says the bank expects some, uh, some bank, some bank expects uh, just 23% of S&P companies to offer guidance for the year. That is really, really stunning. That's one of the things that helps people figure out where to invest their money. And if all these companies, 75% of the companies on the S&P 500 are not going to give guidance, it's going to be incredibly difficult for analysts to analyze the companies as well as for investors to figure out where to put their money. That certainly doesn't help in a, in a crisis uh, environment like we're in right now. Companies that have declined to provide 2020 guidance include Delta and United Airlines, the hard-hit carriers, and MasterCard and Ford. Next up is litigation. This is very interesting. Coronavirus has wrought untold damage. More than 250,000 have died prematurely. That's worldwide. Whole cities have come to a standstill. Businesses have withered. But is anyone at fault and should anybody pay? For some litigation officers, for, for some litigation offers redress. It means to recoup losses and make good on contracts. Lawyers are expecting battles over force majeure clauses, which enable companies to get out of contracts if active God events like hurricanes prevent them from fulfilling obligations. So this is interesting for many businesses, including small businesses. That certainly isn't going to help uh, small businesses if uh, if they, you know, are going to uh, renege on their contracts. What's going to happen? <clears throat> or if they can't fulfill their contracts because of certain things happening in the economy. Insurance groups have taken a conservative reading of what is covered by the business interruption clause that is included in most commercial policies, arguing they cover damage to buildings but not closure costs arising from a pandemic. Well, <laughs> not, not exactly sure that that's all that fair. Uh, then again, yeah, I don't know.
governments could also step in to backstop insurance claims as the U.S. did through the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act after 9-11. The 2002 law addressed the problem of insurers refusing to offer policies to cover terrorism because they struggled to obtain reinsurance to cover their own risks. That's interesting. All right, next up. I I had more to share from that source today, but I'm not going to. It's just going to get too long the way it is. Next up is an article that showed that um, Governor Mario Cuomo uh, is surprised at the patient mix of patients in New York City area. This article showed that 66% of New York City COVID patients were people who were staying at home. Wow, that is interesting. Here we have this lockdown to make sure that nobody gets sick. And most of the people that are getting sick were locked down. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. I wonder what the, I wonder what the mix is for other states and cities. 18% of, nursing, 18% of patients came from nursing homes, 4% from public transportation, and less than 1% from where? Prisons. Yes, the very spot where people are being let out to contain the vi- the spread of the virus. 1% of people with COVID-19 were from prisons. 66% of people were staying at home. Let that sink in. That is unbelievable. 17% of the patients were employed. 37% were retired and 46% were unemployed. Again, here you have a situation where so many people either uh, weren't, were furloughed or lost their jobs to, to uh, contain the spread of the virus, and 46% of those who were unemployed ended up getting the virus. Wow. And to make matters worse, it sounds like from, from this video that Cuomo is still sending COVID patients to nursing homes. Even though pretty much everyone in the country knows that those, have, those nursing homes have been a huge breeding ground for the spread of the virus. What is going on in New York City? All right. Next up was an article about uh, a mutation that has been discovered that has weakened the virus. It's a similar to a mutation seen in the middle to late stages of the SARS outbreak. That's really good news. That suggests we're, we might be toward the middle or the late stages of this outbreak. The weaker virus can go undetected and spread faster, which is bad news. But it's less deadly, which is good news. House Republicans uh, are putting together a committee to oversee China. They're going to look at influence operations in colleges and think tanks, economic threats such as supply chains, technological competition and piracy, the spread of COVID-19 itself, and what happened, how it happened, and the cover-up. And now, just think about that for a second. House Republicans are going to put together a a committee to oversee China. Uh, A competitor and now somebody that we consider an adversary. On the other hand, House Democrats are putting together a committee to oversee Trump. (laughs) 
I'm trying not to be biased, but I just, you know, even though there was all kinds of oversight in, in these bills that they put through to stimulate the economy, they would just like to have another one. So Republicans want to oversee our adversary and Democrats want to oversee our leader. And from this video, it sounds like Democrats are not keen on the committee or the, 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 the committee to oversee China or even want to be involved in it. Calling it, what's the word? Political. Really? Okay. All right. On to this. Democrats are thinking big for the next stimulus bill. They say uh, money is going to go to state and local governments for more testing and for tax credits and unemployment insurance for, uh, for Americans, uh, food stamps as well, and help to uh, uh, support or some may call bailout the U.S. Postal Service, which has been horribly run over the years and is in massive debt. Uh, low in, uh, it, this, so this could be another $2 trillion. Now, some are saying low interest rates allow for cheaper borrowing, which is true. On the other hand, you have to understand, you still have to pay back the debt. When is that going to happen? This is going to take us to probably $27, $28 trillion on the debt. I mean, we're looking at, we're easily, by, by the time this is over, this is easily going to be a $10 trillion uh, pandemic and economic crisis. Easily. That is just un unconscionable. I mean, it's hard to even fathom. Uh, if you want my personal opinion, we are going to have to start paying down the debt. As soon as this crisis is over, we're going to have to start paying down the debt. Because if we don't, well, in theory, you, know, you would think that that's going to weigh heavily on the dollar. But, and, that, and, and, a, and a lower dollar would lead to more inflation uh, for imported goods. But the United States is a reserve currency, which kind of allows us to get away with fiscal irresponsibility because even if we have a huge debt pile, we still have people wanting to buy our debt because we are the most uh, uh, the safest investment in the world, primarily, because there is a mandate that the government will not default on our debt at any cost. So... Uh, this is going to be interesting to see how this all plays out with the debt and the dollar, as well as how it affects economic growth. Because how do you cut the debt? Of course, you have to raise taxes and or cut spending. Raise taxes, that's bad for the economy. Cut spending, bad for the economy. So if you want to look out, you know, three, four, five, maybe even ten years, this huge debt load is going to be a big ball and chain on the economy one way or the other didn't really want to share that bad news but i'm not about good news or bad news i'm about news whatever it is okay and, and lastly uh chuck schumer says the next bill will be franklin rooseveltian in size and scope that was his little quote uh, just a quick mention here about the cruise lines princess and holland cruise lines are canceling cruises through the summer and into the fall and they basic basically excuse me basically said ports and airlines are shuttered anyway so they really can't operate anyway 
Next up, we had an article by a stock market bear who said that uh, he, sh- he showed a chart showing the correlation between long-term earnings per share growth for stocks and the stock price-earnings ratio. It shows a long-term EPS growth plunging, but the stock P.E. ratio still very high. And it's actually higher than it was during the, uh, the global financial crisis. So he's making the case that uh, stock prices could fall significantly if this relationship holds. But, and that's not good. However, my, my caveat is that it's very difficult to forecast both P.E.s and uh, price-earnings ratios and earnings per share. So maybe, you know, maybe this, maybe stocks will fall, maybe they won't. Maybe earnings per share forecast will come up and the, the ratio will, uh, will come back to more normal levels. Uh, the ratio between PE ratio and the earnings per share ratio, which itself is called the PEG ratio, price earnings to growth ratio. So it's hard to say what could happen there, uh, but it it is uh, mentioned that this guy who's talking about this is a perennial bear. So people who like to share bad news are always going to be sharing bad news or at least bad forecasts or gloomy forecasts. So take it for what it is. Okay, uh, one quick note. Nemus Marcus, Neiman Marcus is filing for bankruptcy. <clears throat> Pardon me, I have a very large frog in my throat. It's... It's uh, making some noise. <laughs> anyway, Neiman Marcus is filing for bankruptcy. And that, so that goes to show what's going on with the uh, retail industry. And one last note, uh, the Federal Reserve is considering loans to colleges, universities, and nonprofit medical institutions. Now, I was going to share some information from a webinar on the energy market, but since I had so much information to share today, I'm going to save that for another episode. It's not super timely, but it is interesting in uh, at the least. So I'll save that for another day. Now to a update on the coronavirus itself. We have the global death rate at 6.94% and the and the growth rate of fatalities at 2.6%, which is up from 1.4% on May 3rd. So almost double in just a few days. And for the United States, we have the death rate at 5.92%, which is close to the highest it's been since the crisis began, and a fatality growth rate of 3.5%, which is double what we saw just a few days ago on May 3rd. So again, kind of seeing the same pattern for both the United States and the globe. Now, one thing I wanted to mention was, uh, again, I'm updating, like I mentioned yesterday, there's a discrepancy between Worldometer's data and CDC data because CDC, CDC data is is lagged by one or two and possibly even looks like three weeks. But what I wanted to mention was that, I'll pull it up here. So right now, as of May 7th, total fatalities from COVID-19, according to the CDC, again, leg data, 45,632 deaths. Deaths from all causes, 
I'm assuming this is all clauses in the United States. Doesn't really say here, but uh, seven hundred eighty thousand eighty-five. This is from February since February one. Deaths with pneumonia and COVID nineteen twenty thousand one ninety-six. Influenza deaths six thousand. Pneumonia deaths. 71,451. And deaths with pneumonia, influenza, or COVID-19, 102,028, which doesn't really matter. Because, um, you know, kind of combining them all. But what I wanted to point out is there are close to almost double the amount of fatalities for pneumonia since February 1 as opposed to COVID-19. Hmm. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Maybe, maybe, we should be calling this the pneumonia pandemic instead of the COVID-19 pandemic. It is true that COVID-19 does either cause pneumonia or uh, uh, makes it worse. But still, 71,451 fatalities from pneumonia, 45,632 fatalities from COVID-19. Wow. Just let that sink in. Okay. Next up is my tip number 19 for how to stay sane during unemployment. Tip number 19 is under the second commandment of learn new skills. Tip number 19 is learn SQL, which stands for Structured Query Language. SQL is a very widely known, widely used, and widely in demand program for basically database management, doing queries, looking up data, running reports, uh, and things like that. So uh, it's pretty simple, at least the, the, the basics are, but you can, like any program, it can get pretty complex. I've seen queries that last pages. Uh, so uh, it's an interesting language. You can do a lot with it, and it's very much used all over in, 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 it, in any industry. So learn SQL. That's all I have for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your patience on waiting this for this to come out. I had a lot to share today and so much that I didn't even share just to keep this under 30 minutes. Um, but please, if you do like what you're hearing, subscribe. Please, please, please spread the word because I want to you know, inform as many people as I possibly can while I'm doing all this research here. Uh, I'm not doing it for the fun of it. I do enjoy it. It is interesting, but I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it to help you so you can stay abreast of what's happening with the economy and the virus, the pandemic, and everything else that's going on so that you can make better personal and business decisions. So please spread the word, and you can listen to previous episodes if you'd like. And the next episode tomorrow is going to be the granddaddy of them all, the April jobs report. Now, everybody already knows it's going to be horrible. The only question is how horrible is it going to be? Looking at 20, 21, 22 million job losses, which would be a record, which would be just devastating. But since the stock market is a forward-looking indicator, 
don't necessarily expect the stock market to fall precipitously, or it might even rise. If if the number comes in as expected or not as bad as expected, the stock market will most likely rise. That's the only the main. That's the only main indicator for Friday. So, I mean, obviously there's going to be other news coming through, but that's the only main economic indicator for Friday. So that'll be the main driver, most likely, unless there's some other news that comes out on the virus or, or something else. But uh, So just because we're going to have a horrible uh, report tomorrow doesn't mean the market is going to crash. Uh, the market already crashed in anticipation of what we're going to see tomorrow. See how this works? It's a leading indicator, so... As soon as the market gets wind that something bad is going to happen to the economy or to businesses, it reacts accordingly. And then what they think is going to happen happens down the road. One week, two weeks, a month, whatever the case may be. So just a little interesting uh, piece of advice there on how things work between the stock market and the economy. That's all I have for today. This is Ed Cashmark, the Everyday Economist. Stay safe, stay sane. Thanks for listening. Have a good rest of your day, and please tune in tomorrow uh, while we talk about the April jobs report. Bye for now.